1: a new creation is something God works in us. He uses our will and our choices. So we must do two things. We must receive the gift. We must receive the gift of salvation, God's work, the gift of being that new creation. And we must then be challenged to live a life of the new creation. That's a challenge to live the life of the new creation. And there's where the rub comes. That's where the hard part is.
0: Conversion is the act of transformation and metamorphosis. In his message today, Pastor Dave explains how your walk with the Lord begins with receiving the gift of salvation, and then you must be challenged to live out the life of a new creation. You must take action to change into a new creation found in Christ. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 22, as he begins his message, Paul's Apologia, the new man. You are a show.
1: Open up into Acts 22, we're basically looking at verses 10 through 14, so if you will turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, um, as Jim said, we're working our way through Paul's apologia, Paul's defense of what had happened to him on the road to Damascus and the change in his life. So if you will turn there, in verse 10 of Acts 22, so I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. I'm sure that when you were a student in biology class, you studied metamorphosis. I'm sure that you looked at metamorphosis. I'm sure you saw the caterpillar crawling in the cocoon and then the stages that the caterpillar goes through. And then at the time when it's ordained by God, the time happens that the caterpillar comes out as this glorious new butterfly, beautiful butterfly. When the caterpillar is transformed into the butterfly, it becomes a new creature. A metamorphosis takes place. The word metamorphosis means transformation. It means to be made new. Likewise, when one becomes a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, he or she is transformed into a new person. He experiences a change of heart by which his disposition and temper are conformed into a divine image. He changes from an enmity to a holiness and to love. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 5.17, which is probably a very, very well-quoted verse. You could probably quote it to me. He says to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And, you know, I love the Greek, and I love to look at the word Greek, and I love to see the various meanings. And the word for all here means all. doesn't mean some things. doesn't mean part of your life is new and the rest of it is still the old life. It means all things. It means everything. Every part of your life is new because you are a new creation. Just as the caterpillar came out of this cocoon, and became this glorious new butterfly, you also have come out of the cocoon of sin, out of the cocoon of death, and now you are in this glorious state, in the image of God. The new life of the new man, or woman, created in the image of God, created by God, the newness we have. And Paul spends a lot of time writing about this in his various letters, but one in particular struck me, and I would like you to turn there if you could, it's in the book of Ephesians. It's in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Now, if you can't find it, it's on page 1059. What? In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about this new man. And in beginning in verse 17, we're going to read verse 17 through 24. Listen to what Paul has to say. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This new man, which was created by God, the new man that God had called you to be before sin entered your life as a young person, when you were born into that sin. The man that we were called to be by God, a man of holiness, a man of righteousness. You put on, you you put on this righteousness, and, and it seems like there's an action there. Well, there is. The act of putting on, removing the old clothes, removing the former life, and saying no to the former life, and putting on Christ and becoming that new creation. Listen to this quote regarding the new life. I think it's pretty poignant. Quote, In the new birth, God exerts a quickening influence or power upon us. Regeneration is much more than simply shedding a few tears because of some temporary remorse over sin. It is far more than changing our course of life The leaving off of bad habits and substituting of good ones. It is something different from mere cherishing and practicing of noble ideas. It goes infinitely deeper than coming forward to take some popular evangelist by the hand, signing a simple pledge card, or joining a church. No. The new birth is no mere turning over a new leaf, but is the inception and reception of a new life. It is no mere reformation, No, it is a radical transformation. In short, the new birth is a miracle, the result of a supernatural operation of God. It's radical, revolutionary, and it's lasting, unquote. Wow. That puts it right there where it belongs, doesn't it? The new life, the transformation, the metamorphosis that happened to those of us that have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, the new life that we now have in Christ Jesus, one thing I like about that is this new life is lasting. It's a lasting life. Now, when I read this, what immediately came to me, is says, you know when the caterpillar becomes a butterfly by metamorphosis? It's lasting. The butterfly will never become a caterpillar again. He will never become that person that he once was. He will never become that creature. He will always be, for the rest of his life, a butterfly. But what is really interesting to me is that the offspring of the butterfly become caterpillars. That's pretty neat. And then they have to go through the cocoon process and the metamorphosis process for themselves. Very interesting when you look at it that way. Very interesting. They must be transformed by the hand of God. Would that we could all have our children, our spouses, our loved ones come in by our salvation if it were that easy. That once we were saved, they would automatically be saved. But that's unfortunately not the case. Over the last several weeks, we've been studying Paul's apologia. Apologia is the Greek word for defense. Paul's giving a defense to the angry mob that dragged him out of the temple and started to beat the snot out of him. That's not scriptural. They started to beat him up, and they wanted to beat him unto death. And he was rescued by these soldiers who were close by. They came down and actually f- grabbed Paul out of the midst of these people. And now he's on the steps of the barracks. Before he went into the barracks, Paul had the thought to say, I want to speak to the crowd. And he asked the captain of the guard, can I speak to them? And the captain of the guard said, yes, you may. So Paul's apologia, as recorded here in Luke 20, by Luke in chapter 22, is his defense. And we've been studying it because it came in the form of Paul's testimony. It came in the form of Paul's testimony, and the first thing he talked about was his B.C. days, his before Christ days. He wanted to relate to the mob. He wanted to relate to them and show them that he wasn't that much different from them. That the one main thing that was different in his life was Jesus Christ. And that caused him to change radically. That caused him to be this new person. He told the mob, hey guys, I'm a Jew. I trained at the feet of Gamaliel, that great teacher that everybody knew. And when he said that, the crowd probably went, ooh, Gamaliel. I trained at the feet of Gamaliel. I was trained according to the strictness of our father's law, he said. Hey, guys, I was as zealous for the law as you are today. He was trying to relate to them. He told them, guys, I persecuted this way. I persecuted them to the death, dragged them out of their churches, dragged them out of their synagogues, brought them in chains back to Jerusalem with letters of condemnation, forced them to either deny this Jesus Christ or have them die. That's what I did. Those were my B.C. days, he's telling them. Then he gets to the point where we were last week. He speaks of his conversion, what happened to him on the way to Damascus how this great big light appeared and knocked him off this high horse he was riding. We don't know if it was a horse, but we just assumed that it was. He was on his way to bring back and change people that he had letters for from the high priest. He was going to take them back to Jerusalem to be punished. And there, on the way to Jerusalem, he met the risen Lord. The risen Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, appeared to him in the midst of this bright light. He would later tell the Philippian church that Jesus apprehended him that day on the Damascus Road. Remember, we talked about the hound of heaven, how the hunter became the hunted, how Jesus tracked him down, the hound of heaven. So as we come into today's study, we're going to look at this new man that Paul became. In fact, that's the title of today's message, Paul's Apologia, the new man. Paul wants to tell these men about the change that happened to his life, the metamorphosis, the transformation that happened that day. Wesley had an interesting quote. He says, quote, "...when a person comes to Christ for salvation, there ought to be a very present, visible, and undeniable change." This was what Paul was trying to get across to these people gathered there who wanted to stone him to death, who wanted to beat him to death because he defiled their temple, they thought. Simply because they saw him in the temple... And they use that great prejudicial logic. You remember, Paul likes Gentiles. Paul's always with Gentiles. Gentiles go where Paul goes. Paul's in the temple. Gentiles must be there too. Let's beat him up. So as we see this change within Paul, Paul's been transformed. He went from convicted sinner who was dead in his trespasses. He was separated from this God he was so zealously defending. And he was transformed into a child of God. He was a saved saint and he was heading for everlasting life. He wanted to get that across to them. He wanted to tell them of the new person that Christ had came for them to be. You remember? You read about it in in Ephesians. The two became one, the Jew, the Gentile, forming one man, the new man in Christ. That's what he wants them to tell them. There was an obvious change in Paul's life, and he recognized that change, and it happened to him immediately. Paul wanted to tell them these men about his new life, and he also wanted to tell them that, hey, guys, You know what's so great about this new life? You know what's so great about this salvation through Jesus Christ? It's available to you. It's available for anyone who would believe, anyone who would accept. See, living as a new creation is something God works in us. He uses our will and our choices. So we must do two things. We must receive the gift. We must receive the gift of salvation, God's work, the gift of being that new creation, and we must then be challenged to live a life of the new creation. That's a challenge to live the life of the new creation, and there's where the rub comes. That's where the hard part is. A synonym for transformation and metamorphosis is actually conversion. That's a synonym for those two. If the act of conversion simply means to be turned or changed from one state into another. A person who receives Jesus Christ is changed from within. They're converted from a state of sin to a state of holiness. And as we said, there's a change of heart, a change of dispositions in which they're no longer at enmity in their heart towards the things of God. There's no stubbornness now within them. It's been replaced by God's supreme love and this transformation of life. We call it the heart transplant. They got a new heart, just like Ezekiel promised from the Lord in Ezekiel 11. The new heart which was available, he said, to the Jews. He said it was available to Israel. But now it's available through Jesus Christ to us, this new heart. The transformation within our life becomes evident to those who are looking in. The transformation in our lives becomes evident as they gaze into your life and go, wait a minute, there's something different about you. There's something new about you. There's something that that is different. You're not doing the same things you used to do. It looks like Dave, but where's the pod? Where, where, where are the body snatchers? It certainly looks like you, but yet you're acting so different. Hence they ask. See, Paul saw the risen Christ that day on the, and on the road to Damascus. He saw the risen Christ, and he called him Lord. Powerful word, Lord. It's kurios in the Greek, and it means supreme one. It means God. He saw Jesus Christ, and he called him Lord, kurios. Kurios. And a metamorphosis took place in Paul's heart. Immediately, instantaneously, he was changed. Why? Because he gazed upon the face of God. He gazed upon God's face and he was changed. His heart was changed now to the things of God. And we see in today's verses several things and evidence of this transformation which I want to talk about. We see this evidence of a changed heart to a Christ that Paul now exhibits. And in verse 10a, the first thing I see is a change in ownership. Look at verse 10a. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? Now, come on, we live down here at the shore. Businesses change hands rapidly. They're constantly changing hands down here. And how many I know have seen the sign, under new management, under new ownership. Well, this is the first thing I see in Paul. When a business is under new management, it says somebody new has come in and brought the business, and guess what? If you walk into that place thinking that's going to be just like the old place, you might be sorry because the new manager, the new person in charge, has a different way of doing things, and things might be different than the last time. Remember I said earlier that Paul told the Philippian church that he was apprehended by Christ? You can read that in Philippians 3.12, by the way. The word apprehend in the Greek is katalabambo. Sounds like an Italian word. But it means eagerly to take and to possess. It means to possess. Paul's life has now new ownership, and things would be running differently these days. Listen to what Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 or 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I am not my own. I don't belong to myself. I belong to Christ, because He paid the price that I couldn't pay. Christ paid the price on the cross for my sin. He bought me. I've been bought with a price. See, that's what redemption is all about. I was a slave to sin. I was a slave to my own flesh. The things I did, I did because I was bound by my flesh, and it owned me. I served only my flesh, but Christ Jesus came to set me free. Christ Jesus came to set me free so I don't have to do those things anymore. And my body, which I once abused, I now offer to him as an instrument that he can use, that he might work through, and the temple that he might dwell in. And thus my body becomes a holy place, a sanctuary, a place where Christ dwells. Can you put that in your brain and reconcile that? Those of you that are born again, Christ is dwelling in you. You are a holy sanctuary for Christ to dwell in. Some of you are probably thinking, I don't think I'm very holy. Jesus redeemed me. Jesus redeemed us. He paid the price I couldn't pay. He purchased me from my slavery. Sin was my previous owner. Sin previously owned me. And I was a slave to sin, but Christ purchased me in order that now I might be his servant. Remember, we talked about the bondservant choosing to serve someone, choosing to serve Christ. But as his servant, I now must obey him because I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own. I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to him. He didn't redeem me so I could be my own man. He didn't redeem me so I could, you know, I'm just doing my own thing. He didn't redeem me so I could do my own thing. He redeemed me so I could do His thing. I could do Him. He redeemed me so that I could, I belong to Him. I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own to do as I please. My life now belongs to Him to do as He pleases. Remember Jesus in the garden? Not my will, but your will be done. That's what we do to Christ. not my will, Christ. It's your will in my life. I have a new owner now. So Paul asks his new owner, what do you want me to do? What a great question. What a wonderful question for someone who's just seen the risen Lord. What do you want me to do? I love that question, that submissive attitude. What do you want me to do? I'm yours. Whatever you want, I want to do that. So as we come to the second part of verse 10, the Lord explains to Paul his first task. And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told the things which are appointed for you to do. And in verse 11 We see Paul now, by faith, acting in obedience to the Lord. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. Paul was blinded by the glory of God, and he asked, What do you want me to do, Lord? And hearing the Lord's command, Paul simply obeys. No questions asked. What an attitude. He simply obeys. He steps out in faith, and he obeys the command. This is evidence of that new man within us as we step out in faith and obey the Lord's command. But we have to step out in faith. We see a changed heart in Paul. And this changed heart led to a new ownership. And in the verses we just read, we see a change in attitude. Paul now has a new attitude. He goes from an attitude of superiority, zealot for the law, to an attitude of submissive humility and obedience. Paul submits to the authority of Jesus Christ and by faith takes the first step of obedience. By faith, Paul says, I'm going to obey my new owner. I'm going to obey my master. You ever notice how God asks us to walk one step at a time? You ever notice that? You're probably like me. You want God to show you the whole picture. You want God to say, go down to the black Chevy, turn right, turn right. Go this way, five blocks, turn left, and you'll meet a person there. When you get there, say this, say that, do this, and do that. That's what we want God to do. But God doesn't do that. God says, go down to the black Chevy. And when you get to the black Chevy, God says, now do this. He leads us one step at a time. He leads us step by step. We're not given step two until we take step one by faith. I can prove this to you. Abraham. Get out of your father's country and go to a land that I will show you. Can you imagine a conversation around Abraham's town? Can you imagine a conversation? God just told me to get out. Where are you going? I don't know. Why are you leaving? God told me. Where are you going? I don't know. Why are you going? God told me. Where are you going? I don't know. This looks maddening to someone who's not a servant of God. Someone who is following God's will is perfectly comfortable in this situation. Perfectly comfortable to be stepping out in faith, following God. Because why? Because God told him to do that. And he's perfectly comfortable. So we must step out in faith. If God gives us step one, you must take step one and wait for step two. Philip. In the beginning of Acts, in Acts 8, Philip is in a mighty revival. Man, people in Samaria are getting saved left and right, getting saved constantly. There's such a revival going on. It's a wondrous time. Philip is in the midst of it, and all of a sudden, he gets a tap on his shoulder, and the Lord says, go to the desert. Excuse me? Go to the desert. But the action's here. People are getting saved left and right, Lord. No, go to the desert. You are sure.
0: Although our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's Word. We encourage all our listeners to spend time daily in the Bible, learning from the timeless text that your Creator has given you. If you'd like to listen to more of Pastor Dave's teachings from this series in Acts or explore messages from other books of the Bible, you can do so by visiting AssureHopeRadio.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. If you'd like a CD copy of today's message, we'd be happy to send you one. Just give us a call at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. We're so blessed to be able to share God's Word with you with each new edition of Assure Hope, but we want to encourage you to find a local church to attend regularly as well. Being a part of the body of Christ gives you a place to learn and grow with other imperfect people while providing an outlet for your unique God-given gifts. If you're in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you come by Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet each Sunday at 10 a.m. for worship and Bible study, and childcare is available. We're excited to have you join us. For more information and to get directions, visit assurehoperadio.com. That brings us to the end of our program for today. Thanks for tuning in to Pastor Dave's study in the book of Acts today. And we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.